Hi Owen, how's things? Thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. They're all good now, yeah. Um, enjoying the fine weather. Um, back here in Milton, Melbe, there's a really fancy week on this week. It's a big music festival back here. So um, we're nearly into the week now, a great week, but uh, it's been really enjoyable so far. It's the best week yet. How, do you, how have you found the breaks, obviously, since uh, being knocked out? I know you're away for a week. Do you? How do you plan for that in, in terms of being a footballer? You know, do you, when you're planning your holidays out during the year with work, do you kind of push them out as far as you can and then ask for a bit of extra leave or what way do you do that? Um, I suppose for me, I'm working as a guard in Limerick and while I work shift work, a lot of my annual leave is taken up before games. Maybe if I'm due to work a night shift before a league game or a championship game, I'll have to take that off. Or maybe if I'm training on a Sunday, I'll have to change the shift to work an early shift instead of a late shift. And work has been quite accommodating with that. But as regards holidays, um, before you could always plan at the end of the league with the old system, You'd after a league final, you'd have maybe four or five weeks into a championship game, and you'd always have a week off. Manager would give you a week off, so you could you could zone in on that, and you could book something then. But as regards championship, I suppose everyone has the goal of being in uh, Crow Park on a big day in come September, and now it's July, but um, so you couldn't really book anything then. So it is very much last minute, and uh, I suppose the flights are a lot more expensive. But um, that's the one kickback. But no, um, it's always good to get away, refresh your mind before the top championship. And uh, I suppose like back, like when you come back then, you review the year with the team or you go out and you socialise with teammates, you train with all year. And um, it's a good thing too, because you make friendships for life and you get to see lads in a different light. So um, yeah, I, I suppose you can't really plan friends in the GA because I remember even one year I had a holiday booked after the league and... I think there was a snowstorm around March, April, and then the games were rescheduled. So like that, I flights paid for, and uh, I got to go for a finish, but it, it was a real lesson for me not to book anything in the future because you just don't know. That's true, yeah. How do you find moving in from the intercounty season into club? We're kind of in that in-between now of club championship starting. Um, is there a difference? Obviously, you have a different role. to be a different mentality within the group. I was uh, reading an interview with Michael Murphy. He showed up at what half five for club training at seven. There was nobody, nobody in the car park compared to county training. It'd be a different story. But what's that like going into a club season after an inter-county season in terms of mentality, getting into your role and and getting in with the guys that you probably wouldn't have really been around with during the year? Ah, it's great. It's hugely enjoyable because you're going in with your, I suppose, some of your best friends, lads you grew up with, um, lads you socialise with regularly, and. Um, it's a really enjoyable time of the year because I suppose the club is where it's at. It's where it'll always be at. But it's funny too. It's great. It, it's really a luxury as an inter-county player because you're coming back when everyone has gone on their holidays, when they're really zoned in, championships around the corner, sessions are getting even better. So I can see from Michael Murphy's perspective that, and from talking to some of my teammates, that you get a false sense of perspective on what being a club player is like all year round when you come back after an inter-county season because like that, the lads will be telling me there's like a core group there, maybe of seven. They're keeping the whole thing going for the whole year um, and lads are dropping in and out as the year goes on. You'll always get 15 for a, a league match, but throughout the year, you might struggle to get lads to train. And, and um, I suppose that's the reality when eventually you do finish an inter-county footballer, you have to accept that and just try and drive standards at, at training and, and who's ever there and suppose drive standards on yourself as much as you can. But um, yeah, that, that's the reality of it. I suppose in February, March, April, it is 
sessions of seven, eight, nine guys, and uh, you're lucky to get a session at 20. So when I come back, there's always 20 plus sit sessions, and uh, with Milton Melbourne, we're quite a vicious group, so I'm lucky that way as well to fall into um professional environment as well. Do you find that the club scene is moving more towards the intercounty scene? Obviously, as you said, you're not there all the time, but is it kind of moving along to, you know, like even I know from, from Dublin, the Division 1 scene in, in Dublin is very, very close to an intercounty panel. Is that kind of the way it's going down in Clare as well? Oh, yeah, it is definitely. Um, I was only having this conversation with someone the other day comparing it to when I started playing intercounty, it was 2014, and club has gone to that level now, just that level of preparation, training, video analysis, nutritionists. Um, it's, it, I suppose it's, it's come around the corner um, and just gone to another level, really. Um, but I suppose everyone's accepted that and everyone's bought into that. And listen, it's a healthy lifestyle you leave, you lead if you, if your team is buying into um, the way everyone else in the country is preparing. So I suppose there is a good positives to it as well. Um, although I, I would always have, I suppose, like that when you're speaking to managers, club managers during the county season, I would always say to, to club managers, if you could at all, definitely give lads off weekends earlier in the year because when you need them, and you need them to train for you, that's when you put it on the Sunday morning because you obviously don't want them going out the Saturday night in, but you don't want to push guys too hard early in the season because when you need them then, you need them to perform, you need them to be a training, they won't be there because they'll just be burnt out by the time you need them. So there is still that flexibility there where you can go away um, for a few weeks traveling, um, enjoy yourself for the weekend or go to any family functions throughout the club year up until, I suppose, championship comes around the corner, which is great, but I would hate to see club get that way, like the intercounty way, where you have to make those real sacrifices because, um, I suppose like that the club game is is where it's at. All in all, you want as many people as possible playing. You want as many people in the parish involved, and if it's if it's not um if it's too serious, they won't do it because everyone knows to be an intercounty footballer, you have to give um x, x amount of time for it for a week. You have to prepare well in the off season. You just you you really do have to commit uh, your life a good part of your life to it, but I think you accept that because you know you only have a certain amount of time at it. But um, I wouldn't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see a club go to that level either. But you, you do want to be professional at the same time. When you're talking about there the off season, even prepping before the intercounty is back, is that like individually? Are you doing your own stuff then before intercounty comes back with Claire? What what is that? What does that entail? Um. I suppose you get a program from an SNC coach, and uh, when the club season finishes, maybe you take three or four weeks off, and then maybe pre season training starts, maybe two or three weeks after that. And like that, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from your peers. And I learned over the years that you have to put in that level of preparation so that when you do go back training, you're going in some bit fit and you're not going in to get fit. You shouldn't be going into an intercounty panel to get fit because. It's just gone to such a level now if you're not, if you're trying to go into an intercounty setup to get fit, then you're catching up already. And then the level is so high that not only will you not make match the panel, you might be cut off the panel altogether. Um, and I remember it was a 20, after 2017 season, I probably <clears throat> enjoyed myself too much in the off season. And I got an ankle operation. I came back to play Sigerson with the guards. We were playing UCC, Blow and Templemore. And um, it, I remember it was just after half time, and one of the selectors was roaring at me. He was like, just one more run, Clary, just one more run. 
and uh, <laughs> I knew I was getting the curly fingered in. So it was a good lesson for me that you have to prepare in the off season as well as enjoying yourself, which is important as well. You have to keep up a certain level of fitness and work on your basic skills as well and try and make sure they're as strong as possible before you get back into the group. So um, like that, you learn as you go on from your mistakes as well. That's interesting. And for anyone that, that doesn't get it, like there's people that listen that aren't GA heads and when we, when they hear about intercounty players not getting paid, it's like, well, why would you bother? Like what motivates you to to do all this? Like it basically sounds like you only have really a couple of weeks off a year, whether you're doing your own training, club training or county training. For people who don't get it, why do you do it? Why do you want to play intercounty football? Why do you drive yourself to these standards? Um, I suppose a lot of it in the GA, it's embedded in all of us to our parents or to our coaches, just their love for it. Um, like my parents brought us to games when we were able to walk and you just remember their love for it, how much they enjoyed it. So like the knock-on effect to that thing is that you're like, geez, I really want to put a lot into this because I know how much it means to them and then it starts to mean a lot to you. Um, the other side of it is when you get a bit of success at all, like as a team there, if you have a big win or a few big wins during the year and then you're like, geez, Claire had a successful year or Middleton had a successful year, then it's very much easy. It's a lot easier to go back into the group the following year and try and drive standards even higher again. Um, it is, it's difficult to write when you have a poor year. Like in 2015, we had quite a poor year. We barely stayed up in Division 3 and I think we won one championship match out of uh, three games. And uh, I remember even the pre-season, it was quite tough. You were trying to... Colum was trying to coax guys back into the setup, and and thankfully he did because that 2016 season was one of the best we had, and the whole team kicked off from there. But I suppose like that, there's fine margins there. If you had another poor season back to back, then guys are thinking about traveling, they're thinking about not committing to the setup. So it is that bit more difficult. But it's it's that addiction to success. It's the pride you have in your county. Like every day you put on the county jersey, you're against um, ex rival county, and like. I suppose it's that when you come back into that county, you meet meet people during the week in the street or at work, you see how much it means to them. It means as much to them as it means to you. So you're just trying to make people proud of uh, County Clare and Milton when I'm at my club when, when we're out in action with them. So um, that's really it. It's just about trying to install pride in the parish and the county and just trying to drive standards then in Clare football to ensure that young kids are looking up and they have idols to look up to and they want to play for Clare. And that the likes of playing in Crow Park against the the so-called bigger counties is an achievable goal. And um, that's that's really the big one, really, because it's lovely when you see me kids after games and you see the smile on their face. And um, and, and these memories stick with them. They, they're kind of thinking, even psychologically, at such a young age, it's, I suppose it's going into their mindset, whether they realize it or not. It's like, oh, Clare can beat X county. or um, It's the same way other counties would have that against us if, if kids from their county... Uh, meet their players after the game they see them be clear they're straight away thinking oh they're a team we can beat and like that it goes into your psyche so um, it's great for kids to be at games and attend games and get to relish the atmosphere because at the end of the day we're all trying to promote the game and share our love for the game and, and hope it um, has knocked on effect because like that that's the way the GA keeps going When you're in the midst of January training and you're doing the runs is that what you're thinking of when you're when you're going through it to stay motivated? Is those things you've mentioned? Is that the thought process, or is it just get through it, get next one? What what do you do when you're going through the trenches in with the likes of that training? How do you keep going? Are you are you thinking at summer day in Crow Park? That's that's always the goal. And um, because it was funny when we played Ross Common last year, 
I remember the talk was that oh, if, if the game was on in Galway, there would have been just as many people there and a better atmosphere. And I do get that, but ultimately it is all about playing in Cup Park. Every player dreams of playing in Cup Park. And I remember there's a great clip on Twitter of David Tuberty and he's meeting all the kids from his local club and they're all uh, dressed in Clare jerseys. And you can just see the smiles in their faces. And you mightn't get that in uh, Pierce Stadium or other stadiums because every kid knows um, just from watching games that uh, our national sport is highlighted in Crow Park. The big games are there, the big players are there on the big day and that's how we all grow our love for the GA as well as going to club games as well and seeing our local club team win games. That's how we grow our love for the game. So um, definitely it's, it's thinking about those days in the summer. Even at times where the league is probably the best competition currently we have in GA. Um, at times it's played probably the wrong time of year so the league in some years before can be a bit of a slog at times um, but you just have to get through it because like that for us playing Division 2 was so important unfortunately we got relegated this year but playing Division 2 definitely brought on a higher standard to the group you have guys recently coming in like M McMahon and Killian Ryan and you can see it that they're coming in and they're adjusting well to Division 2 but I suppose if it's a Division four group that they're coming into then it takes them a while to get up to the pace of things where they've no choice to get up to the pace of things if they want to start for the Clare team if they're playing Division 2 football and that just brings on the group even more so um, yeah that's that's really what inspires me I suppose Obviously with the end of the season uh, Colin, Colin stepped away you had a really nice um, I think piece on Twitter and you spoke about him a few times describe his impact on the team in the dressing room, on the pitch, what 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 made him so special? Yeah, I was actually joking one of my buddies uh, after he was saying, "Geez, it it, uh, it was a lovely tribute." And I said, "I'm going to retire from football altogether and just do Colin Colin tributes." Um, <laughs> but uh, what makes Colin so special? Definitely, just the fact he cares for his players so much. Um, he do anything for players outside of GA and that's the big thing with him and you can see the love players have from him from not just my tribute just the way people talk about him other stuff lads had on Twitter um, just even I saw something on my 7 Jamie Malone's book about we bought this uh, piece in different papers after the game against Derry and we were saying how there was um, a clap after, in the dressing room after Cullum spoke and it went on for three or four minutes and uh, it was really really powerful and it just showed the respect that players had for him. Like there was guys crying in the dressing room who might have only been on the panel for two years. And, you know, that's that's the effect he had on them. He, he, I suppose I've never seen anyone like him, how he cares for players. He, he always puts the player first. I remember there was one particular game I was in hospital and um, I'd say I was in hospital for four or five days before a game and he texted me and he said, um, uh, hope you're well uh, talk to which you know football a small matter and just hope you're back healthy soon and it just really struck on for me like oh, geez, I go through a brick wall for this fella because he's not putting pressure on me to come back training or a game and we had a big game that weekend so he always puts the player first no matter what he always puts the player's welfare if if it's a guy who's maybe 20-30% fit and he's a marquee guy call him one playing because like that the the player's welfare is so important to him. It always is. Even Paul Flynn was talking on the Sunday game saying that anytime he spoke with Colin Collins, it was for matters with the GPA to just um, look after players on welfare again. And uh, a special, special man now. And 
And listen, he owes Clare football absolutely nothing, but you can be sure he's still there in the background, driving standards in some capacity. What was your relationship like with him as a captain and being a leader within the group? Is there that constant communication, whether it's with Colm or the management team? What way does that work as a captain? Yeah, it's an interesting one, really, because before Gary retired, um, I would have been a bit of a messer in the group. And like that, Gary then started a leadership group around 2019, I'd say. And I was on pairs of items. There was about seven or eight of us in it. And like that, I suppose, um, someone giving you that leadership group in a group, in a group is very empowering. And then you get a taste when you're like, geez, I'd, I'd like to step this up again. So when Gary retired, I was then made captain. And um, like that, then my role changed with Cullum. There was a lot more phone calls. Um, I suppose we we met a few times. We would chat before sessions. Um, I'd relay feedback players would have to him. Uh, he would relay feedback that management would have about players that um we could improve as a collective and it would be it would be constant but definitely my relationship was always good with Cullum but I suppose it became even tighter because when a manager captain relationship it really there has to be a good level of trust there you have to have trust in each other for really to work um you must also know that you have each other's back and but at all I, I suppose at all times really Cullum knew that. The players came first um, for me, and which it did for him as well. But like that, I'm a player. I'm I'm there for the group, and that's the divide. that's probably there in that at times players kind of see you as the, the manager's ally when you're kind of trying to balance both as best you can. Um, it's definitely an interesting role and one I learned a lot from. But my relationship with Colum was really good, really strong throughout it, and um, definitely helped me do the role as best I could. Anyway. And in terms of when you're chatting to him about, you know, different things, but when you go back into the group, is that, when we're talking about standards and driving standards within Clare Football, is that the captain? Is it the player group? Is it the manager? What Who takes the lead and, and you know, gets everyone going and, and kind of sets the standards? You know, what way does that work? Uh, first and foremost, definitely Cullum. Um, Cullum sets the standard there. He was always driving standards within the group. Always wanted more. Always told us that, we could achieve as much as we want if we played to our, our optimum every day we went out and we trained as hard as we could. He and, and you knew when he was talking, he had that belief. It wasn't just um, a thing he was just going to say, a token effort. And when he was in his voice, it kind of did empower you a good bit. Um, for me, I suppose, uh, two things. Gary Brennan, I suppose, was an absolute gentleman, a great friend of mine and an unbelievable leader, best captain I've ever played under. And to be in a dressing room was a pleasure because you learned so much off him. Even I remember my first year as captain was 2020. And um, I would say at the start of it, I was definitely struggling with the role. And Gary, he didn't even know this, but he was like, listen, I was captain the last few years. Love to meet you for a coffee. Um, just talk about things. And um, I suppose any insights I can give you, I'll give you. So I made him for the coffee then. And I remember him saying to me, um, I like I remember even the first game was a funny one. We played Westmead in Mullingar, and I was running out, and I was like, "What would Gary Brennan do?" And I was even running out like he he would because, like, I suppose Gary was such an unbelievable player that we probably were over dependent on him for years to win us games and lead us, and even speak in dressing rooms. He always had the right notes. So like that, I nearly adopted that approach because I was like, "That's the right approach." 
And I was telling Gary this because I, I would, again, have that trust in be quite comfortable with him. And, and Gary, I remember, was a great man to learn from because he was a guy who was really comfortable in his own skin. And it was something that I really learned off him and tried to develop myself. But Gary just said to me, he said, you're cap- you were made captain not because you're Gary Brennan or because you're adopting these things. You, you're made captain because of the person you are and the things you're doing and the way you prepare. And I remember I was like, I felt 10 feet tall walking out of it. And I think we won the following game then against Kildare and we beat Kevin the same year and we stayed up. And um, it was just, it was really empowering. And uh, again, like Gary, just selfless with his time, brilliant man, but gave me huge learning from the whole thing. And I suppose I, like that, I stuck with that mantra. Even at times when you mightn't have confidence fully in yourself, you're like, am I doing a good job? I'm like, no. Um, I picked for captain for a reason and um, it's because of who I am and what I've um, the way I've prepared as a player and things I do off the field so uh, it was nice to get that affirmation from him and I suppose like that um, the leadership group they've been absolutely brilliant uh, so like that we continued that after Gary left and the guys in it, like that you'd be picking guys for it and uh, there was guys in it already who, who Gary had in it but even I'd always like to integrate some younger guys in it because like that, the same guys in the panel won't be around forever and you want to develop new leaders like we were developed as well but there was a number of guys there who I would say it to them straight out at times there's a role in uh, particular that I wouldn't be strong in so I'm like lads, uh, Laddie you're good at this role can you step in and I think it's important to show that vulnerability as well as a leader because, and to show the trust in your peers as well like I had some trust in them fellas in that group I'd, I'd, I had a lot of trust in the whole group but them guys in particular because I knew they really um, would do anything for the group and they were so invested in the group and they really took on their role as a person in the leadership group and wanted to be even a better leader every day they went out every training session they went out and they'd bring their notebooks like we all would and uh, I suppose you'd have information that which would help you individually, help the team, and also make pointers to make the team better. So the work that everyone's put in that group contributed to Clare football getting as far as it has the past number of years. But um, it was a great thing Gary set up, and it's something that I suppose every intercounty set up has now, but it's a great thing we've got from probably the rugby, really, is I'd say it's been taken from. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something that has made people in GA um, better leaders. What would you describe your leadership style as? You know, are you, apart from being maybe adopting similar style to Gary Brennan, but what kind of <laughs> what kind of leaders do you look to? Do you, do you kind of find yourself, whether it's listening to people like in the rugby space or the commercial space, is there anyone in particular that you, you've tried to learn from or kind of adopt similar ideas from? Or do you just do your own thing? As you say, just back yourself. I've been picked for this for a reason. How, how do you describe your leadership style? Um... That's a good question. Um, I would be kind of vulnerable. I would be uh, quite a vulnerable person, um, in the sense of around the group. I would like to show a good bit of vulnerability if we're doing an exercise with our sports psychologist, or if we're just in the group itself. Because, like that, I think people that don't really know you starting off would be thinking, "Oh, he's the captain. There's a barrier straight away. I can't talk to him. He's he's um." I suppose like that, they think, Jesus, everything's going brilliant in, in his life. Or um, I, I suppose playing-wise, Jesus, he's playing well, so uh, I can't talk to him or I can't relate to him. 
And then when you show that bit of vulnerability, people can relate to that. Um, they could be going through the same experiences or willing to share their experiences. And then I found that that would make the group even stronger because you're developing that trust in when people start to talk about different things. And also people learn from each other as well. Um, I would be quite, quite um, I suppose, I, I'd be a good conversationist. And one of my strong traits is that I'd be very good individually with players, um, 1 to 30 or 1 to 36. I'd always uh, make an effort with all of them. Uh, it could just be small things saying hello or how are they doing or find out their job and um, just knowing more about them. So like one thing I always say is this, um, and, and I'd say this to any player, if you make an effort with number 28 in the panel and your point down or the teams are level and you're forward and your man is aware, or sorry, the defender makes a run off you and he's a chance at a point. Number 28 could be on the pitch and he could chase your man and he could block him down because he's like, oh, that's a friend of mine or that fella's you know, a good guy. And it develops into their psyche that almost they want to do it for you because they like you. Um, and I, I suppose you just don't know what goes through people's heads in games, but I, I'm always of the belief that if you're good to a person, they do anything for you. Like in any form of life, if, if you work hard for a person or if you do something for someone, like I was saying earlier about Colin, they go through brick wall for you. So likewise, in that point, if you made a small effort with someone, there could be the one to chase your men after the, or during the game and make a block down and subsequently um, save you from a bit of a skating off the manager after a game. But um, yeah, and like that, I, I suppose, learn off other leaders. I was lucky enough when I was 18 I went to college and it wasn't kind of working out. I was playing junior, I was playing football with my club, but it was my first year playing with Milltown. So I was able to play junior football at the time and we had a junior division five semi-final and the lads thought, oh, we've uh, Montclerio playing now, we'll, we'll win this. So subsequently I kicked eight or nine wides. Um, very poor game, but a very good friend of mine, Morris Reedy, was at the game and um, and he was actually only, he was a selector with the Clare Miners the previous year. He, he actually wasn't a good friend of mine at the time. Subsequently, he's one of my best friends. But he, he kind of saw, he was like, geez, there's something up there now. Like, that's unusual. And he ended up bringing me to a sports psychologist, uh, Tom Newell from Kilconnelly in Galway, who was actually my Clare Miner coach. And I, again, I suppose you're so young and naive that you don't really know what sports psychology is and you don't know who is a sports psychologist. So... I was inside with him and uh, I got some I got some benefit out of it. And like that, I've been working with him, I'd say, the past 10, 12 years. And Tom's a great friend of mine. Um, I'd love to see him get involved with an inter-county setup because I think he'd add huge value to him. Um, he's a Galway man at heart, so I'd say um, I'd say he'd love to win all Ireland with Galway. Um, but he, he's been absolutely brilliant. He's been a huge benefit in my life, as has Morris, the two of them really um i suppose like that they came into my life at the right time and i got huge benefits down the line uh i suppose subsequently getting a job as a guard and also playing for claire and um captain and claire so definitely i'd attribute a lot of that to those two men as well so if they taught me um anything or give me any advice i would take it on board as well okay that's really interesting because i've always fascinated by when you get to an elite level in sport when everyone is kind of just to make people understand when everyone's at the same level physicality fitness strength 
particularly when you get to let's say inch county football when you get to that level is the game more mental or physical oh 100% it's more mental um, without question I suppose like that players or so years ago like let me see you know I suppose you had the likes of I was, I was trying to think of a specific team but I suppose in the 90s really you had a lot of different teams winning the All-Ireland series like Down won it Cork won it Derry won it um, Meath won it and there was no one really consistently winning it but I suppose like that a group of players just decided every year right we're going to get really fit we're going to give it one good year and they got over the line and I know people would say that's more competitive but I think now everyone's fitness levels is at such a high level because of S&C coach, coaches are there plenty and they're at such a high level and lads themselves, I suppose, health and well-being is such a forefront of society today that I suppose people being in shape and eating the right things is, um, is I suppose, a thing which makes you feel better about yourself. So uh, everyone in society is doing it, not to talk about just inter-county players. But point being... I think it's like lads are so close. There's very little that separates the top teams from um, maybe the next tier of teams, but it, it is mental, definitely. Um, like that, there may be a team, you'd see a team like, um, I remember one year, was it Kildare? Was it 2017? I think Carlo beat Kildare and Kildare subsequently went on then and beat Mayo on the same championship. Do you know, and, and this was a Mayo team. No, it wasn't 2017 because... Mayo got to Ireland that year, maybe 2018. Um, so Mayo were in the All-Ireland final the year before, lost to Dublin uh, after a point, Dean Rocks free. And Carlo were Division 4 at the time, just promoted, beat Kildare, and then Kildare went on then and beat Mayo. And like that, I suppose, Kildare were at their home pitch. They had the bit of um, fighting them from the Newbridge or Nober thing. And like that, the crowd were on their back probably from their last to Carlo. But like that, I'd say in their psyche, they were like, we're not going to be beaten today. That siege mentality and they ended up beating Mayo, a team that were the second best team in the country. And like that, if it was a game played maybe during the league, Killer mightn't have beat them. But it's just, it developed into their psyche, right? Siege mentality here. Everyone's against us. We're no home pitch. They didn't even want the game here. And suddenly then you have that huge fire inside them. But definitely you I would say that the mental side of the game is huge now um, and listen there is some great sports psychologists out there helping teams but you see it with Caroline Curry there it's no secret that she, um, she's an unbelievable sports psychologist I worked with her once before at the club and um, again really powerful session very lucky um, to be in her company the same as um, the friend of mine Tom Newell and Carl Sheridan we had him this year with the um, Clare team and last year, and he was at Munster Rugby. So, like that, there's huge value in it. And definitely, it's if you get a really good one, it does tip the scales against a team that you're probably similar on on the pitch, if players buy into it. That's the other side of it as well. Mm. I was actually only in Limerick there a few weeks ago at a conference um, in UL, and Caroline spoke. And it was like there. This was a room full of excellent coaches, and I really enjoyed all the presentations. But I found her one the most powerful, and I just thought so. I can imagine what the effect that she would have on a team working working with the likes of her. Are you then working, obviously within the team setup? Like I was saying to you before, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the individual improvement within a team environment. Are you working with a sports psychologist away from the team as well for your own improvement? Like you've been, you've seen your man Tom 
since what since you were a minor so yeah it's yeah. always been as, per, as part of your routine to always work away from the group as well as within the group yeah definitely i suppose like that it's um it is like just falling and playing inter county football and um getting that addiction from success uh from me working with tom and seeing the benefit of it and the benefits of my life then it's something that you keep on to do because you're getting such a benefit out of it so yeah i've been working with him individually since 2013 i'd say um and like that he, he's a great friend of mine now so even like that if i wasn't working with him we'd meet for coffee and chat about football and it's a relaxed nature but i suppose he's given me so many tools to use over the years that um it's definitely benefited me hugely in my game because i suppose i would be quite a naturally I'd be quite a shy and reserved person so like that I, i'd be trying to fill myself up with as much confidence going onto the field or um as well i suppose like that confidence comes from preparation and Doing the physical side of it is huge. Taking freeze, training well, being at the top of your game, uh, trying to get yourself in good form, eating all the right foods, and then like that, that mental preparation is all part of that. So, um, yeah, like, listen, I, I really enjoyed that work. Um, I think there's huge value in it, and I always encourage anyone in any of the groups I'm working with to try it because if you go in there with an open mind, the benefits are huge. Mm. Is there anything in particular, apart from the physical prep that you do, in terms of building confidence, any tool or technique he's given you for developing confidence in case there's anyone listening that would struggle with a similar sort of style as you? Um, let me see, you know, is there any tool? Yeah, I suppose like there was one, I remember when I was starting off, uh, was it 2016? Yeah, 2016 we played Kildare and I remember a few of the lads had played in Crow Park in 2014 against Tipperary in the league final. So this is my first time playing in Crow Park and I was I was going in like like that you're a kid, you're going in there, you're like, geez, I never played there. And then you get the opportunity to play there and it's almost overwhelming. So I was 21 and we went in there and remember Tom gave me this technique where you're thinking of someone who is really confident, almost initially adapting that persona to fill you with confidence. So... For me at the time, it was Cristiano Ronaldo. He optimizes confidence, most confident person probably in the world. And it was me, it was me imagining Cristiano Ronaldo in Crow Park. And uh, I remember driving in the bus, I was sitting beside Jamie Malone, a good friend of mine. And uh, I remember just thinking of that. And straight away, it filled my body with confidence. And we, I had a freed in to win the game. And I remember coming up to it and I just felt so calm. And like that, I would have put it down to, to mental preparation. Now, it wasn't just in the bus. I had done that. I was doing it in the lead-up to it because like that, you can't just, I suppose as to say, you can't fit in the pig the day of the fair. So I had practiced that type of stuff. And now, I suppose, as the whole thing develops, that was the early stages of it. So now I could be imagining myself in Crow Park um, and that would fill me with confidence. But like that, because I couldn't imagine that initially because I hadn't it done, I had to imagine someone else there to gain that confidence. But um, yeah, he gave me great tools like that and great, kind of trigger points to use that would fill me with confidence or uh, help me get over a setback. And uh, I've utilised them in my game over the years and found it really, really beneficial. Okay, that's really interesting, that particular technique. I like that one. When you're in the pressure moments of a game or or kind of leading up, let's say, taking a free and you, you said you were so calm, 
when the whistle is blown what's your thought process or let's say it's a big moment in a game you know you know not 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 a lot of time left it's it's the clock is winding down how do you find that moment how do you stay so calm and and have a clear head or do you or what's your thought process then um i suppose like that it's it's trying to get your concentration level at such a high level that you're when you're in those pressure moments that you're able to zone in and fully focus on it so like that outside of sport it could be the cold shower technique meditation um even reading like I, I found all those things really good to have a clear mind and to help me really focus in on those pressure moments um the other side of it as well listen it all comes on to preparation taking your freeze at training trying to rip um Colum used to have us taking freeze at the end of the session and almost trying to replicate that pressure which is really good because this in confidence comes from practicing a skill under pressure and um I suppose the other side of it, and I always say this, I remember, who do we play? We played Limerick, Limerick in the Championship last year, and I had a free to draw the game. And a, team, a teammate uh, of mine ran by me, Keno D, and he said to me, um, I've seen you kick this 20 times a training. It's like, this is your this is your kick. And I remember like that again. I was like, yeah. Um, but that's him being a good teammate, filling me with confidence. And there I was, Cam, and scored a kick. And but like that, I, and I always say to people, you can prepare as best you can, and things happen. I we played Leash in the league in 2020, and we played Kildare in the league in 2017, and I missed two frees to draw the game. And like that, genuinely, I wouldn't put those misses down to pressure. Um, I executed the skill as best I could. I done my preparation, done my technique, didn't feel any difference in my body. Um, and just missed the kick. And I suppose that's the joy of sport. I suppose you're at such a high level that it comes down to fine margins. But um, definitely, like, something something I learned from, really, again, in the psychology was, I remember when I was 16, I missed the penalty in a minor final against Corrafin. And I didn't kick a ball after it. The penalty was in the first three minutes. And the reason I didn't kick the ball after it was because I was my concentration was on that missed penalty. So... Um, I've I've told this story before to young lads really just to let them know that if they make a mistake it's okay but it's how you react so we played Cork in 2017 in the league I remember someone put we hadn't beaten Cork in years I think maybe 25 years or something in the league and um, I was going through one on one someone put me through I missed the shot and um, it was a big moment in the game and we were doing the video analysis after and they played the clip and as they played the clip they kept running the clip because after I missed it, I tackled one of their players around the halfway mark and turned the ball over straight away after missing that shot and won it free and subsequently we ended up winning the game. Now, we didn't just win the game because of that, but for me, it was a huge marker for me to say, I've learned from my mistake. Um, do you know, because it's good to make mistakes because that's how you learn. If I never made that mistake and I missed that goal chance, that goal chance could have set me for 20 minutes. So, um yeah, I suppose, look, you're always learning and it's great to learn from your experiences because that's the only way you'll find out uh, how to better yourself, really. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. And it, when you talk about sports psychology, I remember an interview with Karen Donaghy and he was saying, you know, when I'm talking about kind of flow state, that might come up a bit, but uh, Karen was saying it was the 2014 final, I think, against Donegal, that goal he got. He was like, I knew I was in the flow because that was the first time or one of the only times sport has kind of he said the moment was like slow motion 
and it was I was just like I was fascinated by that Has, have you ever experienced something like that in a game have you ever experienced that kind of flow state or that slow motion side of things uh, I did actually it was funny enough it was that game in Kildare in 2017 when I missed the free at the end so that's when I got out of the toss there but uh, no I was in it and I remember I remember like everything I kicked went over it was it was incredible really I could run faster recover faster from runs and you were kind of like this this is unbelievable like as in how how can I get into this all the time but um, it's very hard to get into it but when you're in it you know it because every time you get on the ball it just seems like the whole thing slows down um, every time you kick the ball you're like yeah this is going over you don't even have to look at the post it's it's an incredible feeling that goes through your body it's so hard to explain it but um, yeah I can totally resonate with that because it happened me in that game and I was like geez this is some feeling like you, you didn't want the game to end um, until I missed that chance at the end <laughs> but uh, no yeah I have experienced it before and uh, it's I'm sure every player has but I suppose when you're younger especially you don't know what it is or you just know it's a great feeling. So it's a great feeling you get inside your body. It's like a warm uh, feeling of confidence and uh, you feel like you can do things that you probably never did before. Yeah, I remember I was talking to, I think it was Sarah O'Donovan, I think it was very early in the podcast and she was saying, kind of go back to that motivation thing we were talking about was she experienced it twice or three times in her career and she was saying, particularly near the end, that's what she, her motivation was just to get back to that, get one more of that, of that kind of flow state thing. That was what drove her during her career, which I thought was really interesting mm. and kind of like driving, like it's funny and someone else said it, they were like, when you're in the flow state, when as soon as you realise it, you nearly pull yourself out of it because you're like, oh, I'm in it. And then it's like, oh, well, it's actually gone. Like it's, yeah. is it that, is it, is, is it that kind of delicate, delicate's probably the wrong word, but is it just that kind of, in, do you feel invincible? Is that really what it's like? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, you're right. It is quite delicate because it only takes maybe two players after that to almost lose it. Um, but like that, when, when it keeps going, like I, I remember I got two two balls near, it was in a really tight angle. And I, I remember just they sailed over the bar and you're kind of like, geez, what is happening here? Do you know, <laughs> like, and, and you don't entertain, but it does, in, in a weird way, it does. You, you feel invincible. And um, it's it's a brilliant summation of it. That's that's exactly how it is. But it's it's very hard to get in it, and um, like that you go through it a few times, probably in your career, in a club game or an underage game, or you look back, and you're like, geez, oh, that's what it was. But um, if you do get in it, you're very lucky because you're in a special place and you're a huge addition to your team. One thing Colin always said to us, and it was a great point. I thought was that if someone is hot like that or they're in that flow state, give them the ball. Um, you know, it's a simple tactic, but if a fella's on fire, just give him the ball or get out of his way. Um, because like he's the one that'll win you the game and it'll be someone else the next day. But for that game, I suppose you just have to play to the team strengths and that person at that particular time is the team strength. So um I remember that was like for any coaches out there it was a really good point because it's so simple but it's so effective. Yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're in the middle of your career as an intercounty footballer, and, and I'm very conscious that you're a very driven individual from speaking to you, and it's something I'd probably struggle with. You know, whether you're really high after playing so well, I wouldn't be hitting uh, freeze off the sideline like you would. But and then you're you have a particularly bad game, and you're just I just find myself down. I remember I was talking to Brian Gregan, and he had a really good point about celebrating every PB he had it obviously at athletics as if it's your last and I found that really that really resonated with me and it's helped me a little bit but 
are you conscious of in the moment like how do you continue to drive for standards and improve yourself do you do you always do you always kind of you know what's what am I trying to say while you're driving for those standards and you're motivating yourself do you acknowledge the personal best do you acknowledge how well you're getting on or is it something you don't really look at how do you find that you have to acknowledge it because at the end of the day if you're not enjoying it um like the final destination won't be that enjoyable because you're putting so much into it you have to acknowledge that geez that was a good day today and that was really enjoyable with my teammates or um skills I execute or skills I was working on in training I executed today like that's brilliant you know it's important to realize that and acknowledge that um something that I did find myself was especially early in my career I was getting too high when things would go well personally and for the team and then I get too low then likewise when they didn't so I definitely remember around 2021 it was something I really worked on and um just not getting too high when we won and not too low when we lost and I found that really if had a huge benefit to my own personal performance and even I suppose my daily week even at work I was performing better um because my mind probably wasn't on football as much and also if we lost I was able to just shake it off or if we won I was able to focus on the next moment um which could be something at work or something at home or you know um, being fully present or as, as present as possible when I'm in company of uh, could be my parents or friends and trying to have that divide between my football life maybe and my own personal life because like that I suppose we we all want to achieve as much as we can in our sport and life because it means so much to us but you have to have balance if you're going to get to the very very top I mean you you look at any of the best players in the country they've really good balance in their work life and their sport and life um you know just someone for example there like you look at Brian Fenton in Dublin, he does a, a man of the match interview. He's won back to back player of the years and he's so humble still. Uh, really good job, really good fella. Even we met him, um, I met him once before and um, in a social setting, but you just kind of got that energy off him that he was a really warm and nice guy, really humble. And even we played Dublin this year, um, the Dublin lads were very gracious after like they beat us by a point and you know some are saying geez you're lucky there and they're they're just I suppose that's why they're so driven really because they can move on from the last moment to the next moment and uh, I think Fenton really optimizes that that Dublin squad at the moment. And is that in terms of you developing that is that just you after let's say particularly good game you say right pat on the back might make a few notes saying geez I felt really good and did all this and then is it like right that's it is that just is it just a conversation with yourself or how do you kind of detach yourself from the moment yeah I suppose initially the maybe the day of it or the evening of it you do you do enjoy it because you could be out celebrating with your teammates or you could be at home or it could be something you talk about to someone you trust Um, having that conversation with someone you trust is important because like that you could want to get something off your chest if it's a good or bad day and they might rationalize the whole thing for you, which makes you easier to move on from it then. So definitely it's important to, I suppose, when you do have a big win, to spend time with the people who helped you get there. It's it's like who was saying there, um, I see your interview with Joe Fortune like that. It's exactly like he was saying, like the big wins there, it's 300 messages. <laughs> the tough losses, it's the two, but it's the those people who send you two messages they're the ones to talk to after the game because they'll be like listen that wasn't so bad 
or that wasn't so good and they'll bring you back down to earth again which is what you need um, so it is about enjoying it the day of it but don't don't let it spiral into your week because if it's a really big high like remember we beat Cork this year in the Munster Championship like I was lucky enough I was working in, in Limerick so you avoid a lot of it but of course like lads working in Clare were telling me like anyone you'd meet once you talk about it and then when we got relegated from the league you know you could you could walk up and down O'Connell Street and Innes and no one would chat to you so um, you know I suppose like that people are so invested in Gaelic games they want to chat about it they love it they support you which I do get because our supporters are great they're a small group but um, they love Clare football and we know that's the thing I really like as well actually about our supporters over the years is that each one of us know them all individually um, and I know like it would be great to be sp- uh, followed by the Mayo fans or Dublin fans and get those crowds of games because Again, I suppose it breeds success because they're bringing young lads to games or people in the club. But it's really personal having that uh, small supporter group and just um, meet them after the game or meeting them in. There's a particular pub in Innes. It's the football pub, Kiran's. You meet them in all after it. I suppose like that, you'd chat to them after a win or a loss and they'll still be there the next day. So you'd always make that effort with them because you know they're loyal and anyone who's loyal to your life, you should always make time for them. Very good. When you're when we're talking about younger players and, and getting lads up to the level that, that you're at, is there anything in particular in terms of skills or, or just personal traits or qualities that it is essential to be an intercounty footballer at, at this point? Is there anything that you recognise, you know, similar traits from yourselves? Obviously, everyone's an individual and we all have our own personalities, but when you look at your group of within Clare, is there any particular skills that everyone possesses or, or personality traits that kind of, you know, make the the stereotypical or the, the cardboard cutout of an intercounty footballer? Um, I suppose if you, if you have that, if you naturally have that single-mindedness, it's great. Um, but I suppose for a lot of people, it's a skill they develop over time. Um, a big one for me, really, and it's a simple one, it's just getting onto the field. Like, I spent summers when I was 15 to 18, and lads in the club would always say to me, I remember um, that sideline I kicked against Leash, a good friend of mine, Sean O'Brien, he's the goalkeeper from Milltown. He said it to me, like, he's seen me kick that shot a thousand times in Milton Field between 15 to 27 and um, like that's it like it just comes down to practice at the end of the day it's the same my brother Connor we played a minor final against Clare Castle and I remember he scored a sideline to win the game and like that um, minor hurling final and caught it over the bar and like that he um, it was all practice he was down there at a young age with some of our friends and it, it just I suppose like that, I always say to young lads, if you, it's great if you go yourself, but it's even better if you can bring your friends there because you have the crack. Um, you don't want it too serious either. You don't want it that structured. You just want to practice the skills, try different things, um, build that love for GA. And also you're making the club better by bringing young fellas in your own club to different sessions. But it's funny, I'd say uh, that was Connor's, um, I'd say that was the last sideline he hit over the bar and that was my one as well. I'd say, lads think it's a, it's a natural thing making against sidelines, but uh, no, it was once off. I was lucky. Podge Collins took the video, so he took it the right time. Thanks for that, Podge. Yeah, there you go. That's actually interesting because Andy Moran said the same thing. I, I interviewed him there uh, before, but I think it was actually a talk he did uh, with, I want to say, Fermanagh Minor Boys, I think. And he was saying, 
you know, to develop yourself, but it's it's magic to develop yourself along with someone else. Get someone else with you to get into the field because when you're trying to make an intercounty panel, just get yourself and somebody else there. And even when you think about it, you're going to motivate yourself. You're probably going to be more accountable if you bring somebody with you to the pitch. Is there anything in particular then when you're practicing down there? I I, I don't know if you overlapped with Mick Bone. Oh, yeah. and Claire, but I have his 18 shot challenge. Is that is there any particular drills or, or particular routines or, or challenges that you do down the pitch apart from the sidelines? <laughs> um, sorry, it actually was David Collins who took the video, it was Podge who was with him, but um, just to get that one correct, just was but um, 18 shot challenge definitely is a big one. It's one we always talk about, we still develop with Claire. Like Mick, Mick was an unbelievable coach, uh, absolutely brilliant, and I suppose brought learnings to Claire that we didn't even, we didn't know about at the time, and that we 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 um I suppose have followed on since. But like we'd still be using drills that McBohan brought since he was with us in twenty sixteen. He was that good. Um, eighteen shot challenge is a brilliant one. Yeah, and that's that's the one I would do with the two footballs. It just develops both sides, gets you comfortable at both sides, and um, it's a great skill because look, that's where it's at. I suppose all the the top guys at in county, the likes of um, Jeremy Connolly or David Clifford, they're very comfortable under their both feet. And if you can integrate that into a team at underage, think how good they'll be because we were only doing this at 20, 21, 22. Um, but yeah, dating shot challenge and just developing your weaker leg. Like I remember one of the guys who used to come down to the field for us, a friend of mine, Darren McDonough, he was playing with the club at the time at minor level and he was only 15 or 16. But he was obsessive about his weak leg, like obsessed, overly obsessive, like loved kicking off his left leg. He'd be playing club games and wouldn't kick off his right leg at all. And in 2019, so he was 15 then, and in 2019 then we played Kilmaria Bricken, who were a super club in Clare, in a county final. And it was level with maybe five minutes to go and Dara got a ball off his left leg and put it over the bar. And like that, I suppose, when you start learning a skill like that it's so frustrating it's like when you learn how to drive a car but there's huge value in it like like, like that in the crucial moments he, he didn't just pick up a ball and take a chance off his left foot that was something he was doing since he was 15 years of age so um, that's it just get onto the field do your 18 shot challenge there's no particular drill I just love going onto the field kicking football now if freeze are right I would zone in and I would try and replicate that pressure Um try and say, say to myself, oh, pointing this now. And no, I wouldn't do that if I was taking a free, obviously, in a game because that's only putting the pressure on yourself. But for the purpose of practice, I would try and replicate that pressure because it's very hard to do. So you're trying to, as you're trying to build into your psyche, dealing with pressure in pressure moments. So you have to come up with different ways. But um, no, just going out to the field, just love kicking. Um, I suppose for defenders, it's getting... Uh, a buddy to go with you getting your feet right um, just getting tackles in um, and just developing the basic skills of the game mm-hmm. That's really interesting I actually picked up a because sk- uh, I take freeze but I remember when I was younger uh, Neve McAvoy did a camp and I remember something I took from her and I still use is I always spin the ball to whatever Elvery's or in All-Ireland whatever it is O'Neill's on the ball and I always read that when it's going over the bar and I find that kind of grounds me in the moment of right it's actually down like I'm down my local pitch like a bit later on it's like as if I'm I'm down there where it doesn't really matter whether it's a final or it's a group game the league it's the same thing over and over when you're down putting your pressure on yourself is that just you talking to yourself do you've 
do you play music or you hear some lads having the crowd yeah, you know? yeah. I think that's more the rugby people have, have speakers and have the crowd going in the background what do you do to replicate that pressure and then within a match how do you eliminate it completely is the kind of techniques like that um, yeah it's just me telling myself I suppose listen point down here um, you know five minutes left and then you're walking up to the free and you're just I suppose like that you're going through your routine and then kicking the ball and hopefully toward the bar and then listen if you miss it you go again if you score it you go again because I suppose you're just trying to build that confidence into yourself and I suppose the important thing definitely is you get older when you're younger I think you should, you should nearly kick the football off the letter as much as you can um, or kick the letter off the football sorry but as much as you can and just take as many shots as possible because like that you're just when you're able and your body's able you should just be kicking football like I suppose when you're in the county player and a club player now, there's only a certain window of opportunity outside of sessions to practice. And for me, if if I pick up an eagle um, in a week of a game, then I mightn't get that opportunity to practice because I'm, my focus then is getting my body right. So definitely when you're younger, it's about just kicking the ball as much as you can, getting the technique, being comfortable with it. And as you said, like the skills Neve McAvoy gave you, stuff like that and just having your routine and sticking with it and not deviating from it no matter what the kick is so just having the same routine all the time is hugely important mm-hmm. is there anything that you would have in the game to kind of settle yourself or is it just you know is there anything you say to yourself like these trigger words or stuff like that no I just um, I suppose I'm left footed so I keep my right shoulder towards the black spot in the goals and then I make my run up um, but that's always my that's always my technique so I'd always put my right shoulder towards the black spot and then make my run up and um, like that give myself plenty of time I don't have a particular uh, count but I would give myself plenty of time and then maybe if there's a delay I'd always drop the ball and go through my routine again because you see with penalty takers goalies now are coming out and they're talking to the ref or they drink the water bottle and in fairness uh, like everyone knows it themselves the penalty takers drop the ball again and they go through the routine again because that is important because it is all about routine yeah okay very good I'm going to move on to the sideline 7 it's the same 7 questions at the end of every episode uh, question 1 Owen what is your favourite quote uh, comparison is the chief of all joy very good that's a good one uh, question 2 what's the best sporting event you've been to and you can pick one as a fan and one as a player um, best sporting event I've been to I would say Oh, it was the 2017 All Ireland final with the, the the Dean Rock kick that was just unbelievable. Oh, it was unreal. It was some game of football. It just had absolutely everything. Um, like again, talking about grow your love for the game. Like you know, the kid inside you came out. You were just jumping up and down every mad thing that happened. It was unbelievable. Um, it was so enjoyable, and and that's football at its best. Um, like again, I'd be biased, but I'd I'd rather watch a football game than a hurling game every day of the week and. A, a really good football game like that oh my god it's it's just an incredible feeling and I suppose like that inside us where it brings such joy to you because that's the game you love that's the game you grew up wanting to play wanting to get involved in coaching um, or get involved at any level and like I suppose like that you know a game like that has grown young people around the country's love for that game and getting them out wanting to play it and as soon as it's over, then they're kicking ball outside in their lawn like you were. So, I know that, that one definitely was um, was class. I've been to a few Liverpool games, but I can only get tickets for the ones where they're already two in the Champions League. So, 
Um, no, that one definitely was class. Um, Claire winning the All Ireland twenty thirteen as well was was a good one. Um, and on a personal one, uh, I would say, well, for I suppose I'll go two different ones. For my club in twenty eighteen, we won the we won it the county in twenty fifteen, but in twenty eighteen we won it as well. And my brother broke his ankle for the before the twenty fifteen final and missed it, and the twenty eighteen final then he was back for it. And like, listen, winning is brilliant with your clubmates, but winning with family is just an incredible feeling altogether. And I remember like that, the final whistle, he was the first person I embraced. And um, he'd still say the same thing, like that's our favourite sport moment. Um, because like that, it, it, it is all about family. It's, 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 I suppose, like that, he's the person you grow up with, um, learning off, playing with, trying to, I suppose, better each other and also making each other better. So, yeah, definitely that one for the club. And for the county, I suppose, um, I suppose the Roscommon games in 2016 and 2022 were really special. Mm-hmm. Very good. Question three, what's the biggest setback or challenge so far you've had in, so far in your career and how did you react to it? Um, biggest setback? Yeah, so the biggest setback, I would say, I suppose outside of injuries, because everyone gets injuries, I would say in 2019, I was taken off against Meats in the last 12 game um, a poor game the same day and just one of those days where we were talking about the flow earlier there's um, there's another there's another word for it where I think it's a basketball term where like that it's just everything um, the yips that's it the yips so that was that was the day where yeah that's, that was the day um, that was the day I got the yips anyway so the curly finger came and I remember like remember after it, I was like I suppose I was really disappointed because you put so much into it you feel like you let the group down and then I was like I suppose in the off season as well Colum made me captain so between that and um, me being captain I was like I never want to have that feeling again so I suppose that was the motivation for me I my preparation was always decent but for me, my preparation became meticulous then from 2019 on. Um, so I suppose like even my recovery, um, practice, what I was eating improved tenfold. And I could even see it, my body shape changed as well. Um, I was a lot more athletic and I was, I suppose the fitness test, I was well up the top before I probably wouldn't have been. So um, the, I got huge learning off that, a huge benefit from it. Because like that, it all comes down to preparation. So I learned the hard way that day, unfortunately, but it was a great learning. Right, very good. On the flip side then, uh, what's been your biggest achievement on or off the pitch? Biggest achievement on or off the pitch? Um, I'll go and meet my girlfriend, Colette. Um, she's a really special person in my life. And I suppose that she... She's the person that I'd always talk to after games and before games and um, she'd be able to rational, rationalise things quite well for me. And I suppose as captain, you'd have uh, players' feedback and managers' feedback and um, you'd have a lot of phone calls. So she's a very patient woman as well. So um, she's a person who definitely made me better and also um, improved me as a footballer as well so I would say meeting her was probably my biggest achievement Question 6 then uh, Owen who would be your dream dinner guest and why and you can open up the table to a few people if you want 
Dream dinner guest. That's a great question. Um, I would have said Stephen Gerrard before he took the Saudi money, but I'd have to say someone else now. Um, dream dinner guests. You can have a dinner party if you want. That's that's been everyone just keeps cheating on this one. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Um, like that, you know, Carla. I I would like to hear more from Caroline Cora definitely um, I suppose like that the team she's worked with the people she's worked with individually like you'd even see Paula Connell Paula Connell is seen as a person with an unbelievable mindset and he credits a lot of that to Caroline Cora so um, she definitely be one um, who else is there um, I suppose I was a big Podrick Joyce man um, when I was growing up I was a big fan of his the left leg and the collar up and um, the free taking style so uh, he, se- he seems like he's quite a good personality um, who else is there oh uh, Ryan Reynolds um, between taking over Wrexham and I've watched a good few of the Deadpool movies so um, yeah I think uh, I think between the four of us we'd have good old crack and uh, hopefully get a few insights from Caroline as well okay and are you, are you cooking or are you getting a takeaway or what way are you going um I get a takeaway because like that, if Caroline Corrid was given a few insights there, I wouldn't want to miss it and spend it on cooking. <laughs> Very good. Last question before I let you go, Owen. If your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Um, oh, good question. Um, I'd say chapter 11 because I have 10 years with Claire. So <laughs> um, chapter 11, I don't know what it, what it holds yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay, brilliant. Owen, thanks a million for your time. I uh, just want to wish you the best of luck with the club championship and beyond. And yeah, just thanks a million for coming on. I really enjoyed it. And I'll definitely be practicing the 18-shot challenge later on. Thanks, Ward. I really enjoyed it myself. Thanks for having me on.